Incoming transmission. Okay. Captain's log supplemental. Here we go again, episode four of the Red Alert podcast with myself, Stuart, and Natasha, where we like to discuss all things Star Trek, currently going through season one of Strange New Worlds, and today we're going to discuss episode four, Memento Mori. So, I must admit, this one for me was one of the best Star Trek episodes that I've probably ever seen, but we'll get into the rating later, but I just thought, wow, what... What an episode we had this week. And I'll dive in with a synopsis. So while on a routine supply mission to a colony planet, the USS Enterprise comes under an attack from an unknown malevolent force. Pike learns that the enemy cannot be dealt with by conventional Starfleet means. Which is more than true. <laughs> yeah, now, I actually love this episode. Mm-hmm. Um it started right from the offset with a much darker tone, both visually and storytelling-wise, um, which I loved because as a cinematographer, filmmaker, darker content is kind of stuff I like the most. So we began, obviously, with Remembrance Day, Starfleet wearing badges to remember yep. fallen comrades on previous ships and whatnot. And Laanne's got hers, which she's refusing to wear. Yep. And, of course, they're on a supply run to visit Finibus 3. Finibus 3. Finibus 3. They're dropping off, I believe, it is an atmospheric processor. Yeah. For the geeks out there. (laughs) We've got to go into minute detail. They arrive at the planet, and the colonists they're trying to get in touch with are not around, not responding, so they send in a weird... two days, no communications, nothing. So they sent an away team down to investigate and this is where immediately the darker tones and the horror vibe comes out immediately. Um, they're exploring the colony and realising there's been a firefight, there's been a, some kind of battle going on. The place has been abandoned quite quickly, even to the point where the classic dog jump scare. That's it, the classic yeah. horror dog. <laughs> where they all get frightened and have a wee laugh. And they continue to investigate the scene and discover what looks like a massive puddle of blood where bodies have been dragged Dragged either to or away. And just as they do that, they get a hail up and back on the ship from the colonists' ship. But it takes a second for them to realise that the Enterprise is friendly. And because there's some uncertainty going on, Pike has the waiting beam right back to the ship. So the Enterprise starts taking the injured on board and we see this little girl running as well and who <laughs> does say it again? What's it? La'an. 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 I keep saying La'an like your nan. <laughs> La'an. <laughs> right, I've got it right this time. La'an. I'm going to just pop a pin in that though before we get to that stage. <laughs> obviously they contact the colonists or, and they're communicating but they can't be transported off the ship because mm-hmm. they've got a hull that's designed to prevent yep. that. So they've had to use an actual transportation it's tube. Like a deep space tube. Um, attaching to their ship. Yeah. And whilst that's out, they can't have the shields up. Yeah. And as La'Anne's talking with Una about the description of the various uh, things the colonists saw, you know, fire from the sky and whatnot, which is generally classes of weapons bombardment, a little girl comes running by and talks about <laughs> monsters. And, yeah. uh, and she, La'Anne asks her about what she saw and she explains she didn't see anything 
Bushy heard them and they were making a clicking sound. Mm-hmm. And we see immediately there the tensions building up in a lot See, even when she fear. does the clicking sound, yeah. like the little girl, it's like yeah. shivers. And that was a, a thing I read as well yeah. about the about the Gorn, about the whole... They wanted to make it like the Velociraptor with like the clicking sounds. I mean, we've not seen the Gorn at this point, hmm. but that specific, they wanted to try and tie it in with well, that. Well, the clicking sound, though... At this point, because we haven't seen anything yeah, yet. Yeah, we've right? not seen it. It's hard to really... For, I don't really know about the, the clicking sound because if you, you go with the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park, right, they so have one they, big claw, yeah. they tap it on the ground, that's how they communicate, yep. whatnot, right? But then other aliens like Predator use a clicking sound. Which, yep. And to be honest with you, if you go out and about in the street and you hear crows and other birds, you hear that sound everywhere. I know, beware, beware of the clicks. Well, it was one of those weird things that after seeing Predator, I'd go out and I'd hear that noise and I'd be like, what the hell? So, yeah. you know, you realise that you just use an everyday sound that you're totally unafraid of and suddenly you become conscious of this noise, um, which I think is great because it harks back to Alan's being scared of something that's relatively simple, just some clicking sound, because of the trauma she has incurred as the sole survivor of, of, the, of her... SS Puget SS Sound. SS Puget Sound, where her family... And all the colonists on that particular ship totally massacred. were massacred and taken to a Gorn breeding planet, and she was, you know, sent packing, mm-hmm. and then rescued by Una later on. Yeah. So she has been through the ringer with that regard and with her experience with the Gorn. So you can understand how hearing that sound immediately she gets, you know, the fear, mm-hmm. and from there, she's messages Pike straight off the bat to start looking for. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but they were scanning something for... she shields up now. No, well, no, it's not yet. <coughs> That's when she's in the tube and she's looking right. and she's, she realises it is the Gorn, but she initially messages the bridge and asks them to scan for something, which allows them to detect the, the, the Gorn ship or some kind of hologram that they're projecting. Yeah. And then from there, she's standing in the tube and she's looking out as the, and then they mention the ships come out of come out from somewhere and then she's like, realises it's the Gorn and she messages to put the shields up. But they can't because... They've got the tube out, got the tube. and so the Gorn come flying out and destroy the colonist ship and attack the Enterprise whilst it's basically, you know, defenceless and stuck in space. There was a bit with this though, and I—I'll be honest, I didn't actually clock it while I was watching it. Mm. This is something when I was doing my Star Trek homework again that I uncovered was apparently at that moment where she's she's on like the tube and she's like she's looking out, she's like they're here, like they're arriving or whatever. Mm. It's meant to be like poltergeist. So I saw the same thing you're talking about. I didn't initially off the bat get, you know, it's like, it's the Gorn, they're here. I don't, I think they say they're here. That's what they say. She says in poltergeist, they're here. Love that film. But she's like, they're coming or whatever, the Gorn. And she's just, you see like the reflection, it's like the blue sort of screen. She's looking out like that. Mm. And I just didn't immediately get poltergeist. So I saw the same video. I mean, yeah. we have to be honest. We're we're reviewing season one, and so yeah. it's already been and gone. There's quite a few things online about season one, yeah. And like anything, you do a bit of research. You, you gather our Star Trek homework. Right? We got to do it every week. I, and so I have seen the same video, <laughs> and I forget whose it was. So I apologise, but they, they mentioned the it's very good to video. The uh, the poltergeist scene. I don't know if I got that. What I got was somebody who realizes her deepest fear was yeah. come to light, and this enemy that she's absolutely inherently terrified of is now there coming for them and they are defenseless so she freezes in that moment you know Una's telling her to get out she she can't move it's like she's and then they, they fire stuck. destroy the yeah. ship and you know Una's, Una's able to save her 
at which point in the immediate aftermath, of course, the people have been killed. The little girl hasn't made it. The other survivor hasn't made it. Una's quite injured and tells Lan to get to bridge. And that's where she's needed. Thing is, as well, um, with the Gorn, our first ever encounter with the Gorn was the arena, which was in season one, episode 18 of the original series. And again, we get a look at the Gorn in Enterprise with, with a horrible CGI. Sorry, Enterprise, I love you, but that's a horrible CGI Gorn. And the episode was In a Mirror Darkly. Mm. And it's just funny, you know, seeing the different iterations. I mean, I remember even earlier I was watching an old advert and it was William Shatner in a house, like, throwing cushions at the Gorn. And the Gorn was fighting back with cushions, which probably about the same. The styrofoam rocks probably would have weighed the same as the original. They get, they get tired and take a break. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's just funny watching the progression of... Yeah, it's an evolution, isn't it? You've got a, a species in the 60s they tried to make this big scary lizard thing um, and obviously moving forward into Enterprise, which is the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, the, it was like 2000, yeah, 2000. Yeah, CGI was yeah. becoming a major used tool in television. Yes. Fast forward to 2023. Did the CGI hold up? No. But they have tried to make the Gorn a much more scary mm-hmm. uh, villain. And certainly I think Strange New Worlds is heading in the direction where they're setting up the Gorn to be the big bad of this current series. Captain, we have incoming. Multiple incoming. They wanted us to fire. Sacrificed an entire ship just to get our location. We've not even had the title credits. Like, it's not even started with the intro yet. And already the feeling of horror, suspense, survival, it's it's a proper horror take on Trek. So for me, when sci-fi and horror cross over, I'm one happy gal. So, you know, I'm loving it so far. Well, I, I thought it was really... A stronger episode of Star Trek. Already at this point, we've got characters who are in different places in the ship doing certain things. And one thing we have kind of brushed over is Hemmer with Uhura. Mm-hmm. And then he's trying to explain certain things to her and she's trying to impress him, but he's not buying it. And she's got to make more effort. They're in the cargo bay yep. with the air purifier thing. And I mean, after the attack from the Gorn, that becomes unstable, but Hemmer also breaks his hand and can't do what he needs to do to stabilise it. Yep. So this is another B-side story that's, that's taking place with Hemmer and Uhura at the same time as all this other th- stuff. So, And obviously Una's in, in, in sick bay. Yep. Very ill. You said you were fine. I was mistaken. Having to st- Having, actually... St- it's like yeah. back to the old school medicine of, you know, we're going to have to stitch her up because the systems are going offline. Mm. Cargo bay... You're not getting out of there. Medical supplies are running low. It's just a scene of yeah. absolute chaos across the Enterprise. Everything's just everything you could imagine going wrong is going wrong yeah. right now. And obviously, Lands has expressed the fact that to Pike that they cannot fight this ship right now. They're not equipped to do so, and their shields are getting going down each time they get attacked. To the point where Pike makes the decision to run and hide. It's a brown dwarf, dwarf. which actually, another thing as well, hiding in a stellar object, this is what Captain Kirk did in Wrath of Khan, which was the Mutara Nebula, so they'd paid homage to that again. Yeah, well, (laughs) this this is where, for me, it gets really interesting, because they've gone into this nebula, but to do so, they've had to drop shields, sensors will go offline, various things are not going to work. This is is why there's a problem in sickbay, they can't use technology to, to... to you know, help and heal and repair 
the injured and sick. Yep. But the caveat to that was, well, the Gorn will have the same problem. Yes. So we're all going to be blind in there and we can try and wait them out and hide. And so it was obviously mentioned the fact that there's a the black, uh, brown dwarf has been sucked into a black hole and there's yep. other issues with the ship being crushed under the weight of everything. It's and, a nightmare, really. Yeah. The whole, the whole it, thing's bloody awful. It feels awful. like a lose-lose situation <laughs> for everybody. But Pike stands firm in his belief that the Enterprise will hold out more so than the Gorn ships will. And mm-hmm. even has to have a pep talk with Laanne when he's trying to explain to her that not being so negative, morale. be a bit more positive. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Because really... she's very cold and shut off. And it's like, yeah. even a bit earlier in the episode, um, Una says, you know, you, you should maybe speak to someone. I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah. And it was the same in previous episodes. You know, this is going to hurt. I don't care. I want to feel the pain. It's that survivor's thing that you just feel it haunts her wherever she goes. Much like Pike and his mortality, yeah. you feel that Lenan's trauma with the Gorn. I always felt, actually, for being honest, and, and it's harder, it's, it's easier now because I'm watching season two and we're going back and reviewing season one. Yes. So I've seen where we the characters go. <laughs> but at the time, and even looking back on it now, I always felt she was quite a one-dimensional character. There wasn't much. She was the typical angry, I've been pushed in trauma, I don't trust oh, anybody. I, I've, I've loved her from on. the off. Maybe because so, I find her relatable. <laughs> maybe, but she, she was just very standoffish and I always felt from the get-go that in the beginning anyway, there wasn't much to her. That she was just going to be another one. He's angry. Don't talk to me. I don't want to make a, have a relationship with anybody. I'm going to do my job, and I'll do. It. I don't care how blunt or direct I'll be, as long as I'm, you know, speaking my, the truth. And then this episode, you actually start to see and understand a bit more of her character. And I think that's where, for me, that began to shift a little bit because they were allowed, they were developing that more than in the previous three episodes. So I'm now a fan of Latan, but in the first couple of episodes, it was a bit like, oh, here we go again, another, you know cold-hearted, shut-off individual who has no care for <laughs> the Which I immediately was like, I like that character. Yeah. <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> well, yeah, but there you go. I mean, I think when we start to learn, because this is very much her story, this episode. Yeah, I mean, I mean Christina learn... Chong, who plays yeah. the character of Laan, I think is fantastic. The way she plays the role, I mean, mm. it feels, when you watch on the screen, it's conveying somebody that yeah. looks like they've been through trauma, you know, and it just... I mean, she's been through some ordeal mm. and they've been told as well as they're going deeper into the brown dwarf that the lower decks will be the first to take the hit. Yeah. And we actually, I, I noticed this again, we actually see a scene where, you know, the lower decks actually start to get decimated and Pike has to make a choice to seal the bulkheads. And it's actually another crew member saves Kyle our transporter mm. guy and at the very start of the episode you actually see them nod to each other he sacrifices himself to save Kyle mm-hmm. as Pike shuts the bulkhead and we lose our first of that episode yep. we are dealing with the captain now that has to make decisions that are life and death yeah. but it does play back to me I remember thinking that at the time Pike doesn't die here he knows that he knows when he dies none of the other crew do apart from Una who's conveniently in sickbay unconscious that her Illyrian you know, healing abilities haven't kicked in this time to save her. It's not worked. It's only a week later from the last episode, but we'll just skip over that, right? <laughs> so he's, he's, I, w- I wonder if part of his gamble is knowing that this isn't his time. And it would so, make sense because it's a bold, I mean, going into this, because he, he seems very much, he's like, let's keep this situation stable. Yeah. I mean, the Gorn, Laan says that their their tactics are, we're going, they'll bleed you of all your resources. Mm-hmm. They'll have you so you're, you're, running out of everything and then they'll get you yeah 
amazing. And, they're, and they're trained to pursue you relentlessly. Yeah. So well, humans for the yeah. gorn, that, that's their food. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, <laughs> even when it's like, we're food for the gorn, I was like, oh my God, it's, yeah. <laughs> we're going down the, yeah, oh. But, you know, I just still think he went in there knowing that it's probably not where the enterprise is going to be destroyed. So I think, I've said it before, there's that little safety net for him knowing that he can do some of these things because it's probably already happened in the future that he's seen. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Because he's not trying to avoid his fate here. He's just doing, what in that moment, what would come naturally to him. But he has that knowledge of knowing, which also plays, there's that double jeopardy, isn't it? If he knows his future, are the choices he's making now predetermined and is he making all the same decisions he would have made anyway or because he knows the future, is he making decisions a bit more rashly than he would have done otherwise? So is he already interfering with his path? I don't know. But I do think it's an, it's an interesting idea that he's possibly making decisions knowing already that this isn't his time to go and it therefore the ship's probably safe. Exactly. <laughs> because, you know, the Ortega's made some comments about going into the, the, the dwarf as being not the best decision and that is problematic. And this is where she's a back chat the captain. Yes. And he does shoot at a dirty look. Aye, aye. Full impulse to a giant gas cloud of death. Why not? We're at battle stations. We're in a life and death situation. I think there is a time when her quips and light-hearted chat is a bit of banter and they're all, it can be a bit more friendly, but there's also a time when you need to realise the situation and maybe shut up and do what you're told unless you have something of actual worth to add to the this conversation. And that's where I'm starting to see her it's been a little bit too mouthy at times. wonder what it's going to lead up to. This is an observation you made when we were just talking before yeah. we were rolling. And I'm not going to lie, I have heard that be mentioned on a few other mm-hmm. other uh, YouTubers. But I, I, I do wonder if it's something that's going to be built upon because the, it's not ignored. Pike makes a look at her when she makes these comments. So it's not something that's the writers are stuck in there and it's just being left to its own devices. Pike does give her glances of disapproval when she makes these comments. So... Is this just part of her character that's been written in that way? Or is it something that's going to come to head in a later episode or series? Hasn't as of yet, even in season two, but, you know, we're still early days. Moving on, we're in the Brown Dwarf. So the Brown Dwarf as well. And we get a scene where it cuts back to Hemmer and Ahura who haven't actually worked together. And Hemmer's encouraging Ahura to use her senses to work because he can't, he, he's broken his hand. He can't do, he can't start the air purifier. That's a simple term for it. Mm-hmm. So she's having to do it. And it's like, is it hot? Is it cold? You know, again, very much. And I was actually watching um, Next Generation last night. And mm-hmm. it's funny because Jordy as well, visually impaired, but other senses make up for it. He's electromagnetic field. Like he can see all these different things. Mm-hmm. And it's like Hemmer with these enhanced, you know, other senses despite being blind. And it's just interesting watching the narrative develop with those two, like mm. as they build a relationship. Because Hemmer starts off very cold and shut off. I mean, it's a bit of tongue in cheek banter, but it's very much, I'm not going to approve of you right away. You'll have to earn my approval. You'll have to earn my respect. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to do more than that, kid. You know, that kind of mm. banter. To impress me, you're going to need to do better than theorize. Challenge accepted. But then to your point in there, during that whole situation, she's saying we need to work as a team. And mm-hmm. it's quite clear he's not a team player. He's he's feels like he's better just like to do a lone ranger. Yeah. yeah. So he's you know, she's having to convince him to play 
play the game and be a team player and actually help her to win the day. So he ends up instructing her how to do the job he, he would be doing and she's able to competently, you know, demonstrate that she can do that. And, and during that process, you can tell, you know, he's earning her respect and she's obviously earning his. So it was quite a good scene to see that story playing out. Mm-hmm. But the the main story arc here really is the the situation in the brown dwarf with, with the, the, the ship, yeah. And again, it's been mentioned in other places, so I am slightly boring from that. But I did see that the I also agree with the um, naval warfare. That's like, you know in the submarine where they Submarines, can't see each other, I, I skip her. and he's used the uh, the scanners. I forget the specifics, but he's to to basically work at the radar mm-hmm. so they can see where the ship is, and they're using that you know the sonar sound and they're able to see it. And they're diving, and they're, they they can't see or hear anybody, and it very much plays into the whole like run head for run um, hunt for Red October and all these you know submarine type things where mm-hmm. they are relying on the crew in their dedicated positions to do the job, mm-hmm. and they end up dropping a torpedo onto one of the Gorn ships, yeah, which ended up yeah. being a ploy by the other Gorn to try and locate the Enterprise, and in doing so. A big Gorn ship arrived along with was it two other little Gorn ships yep. to the location of that explosion. And so they, they find themselves even more in trouble now. And they have to go further into the Brown Dwarf because they, they can't stay where they are. And so they continue to go in there um, and the Gorn follow them in. And the tension build up in this whole episode is fantastic. Better you can see seat. the decisions they're going to make and there's this very real fear that the ship could be destroyed and that something could something serious could happen. We've already lost a crew member at this point. You know, ship the decks are beginning to buckle and implode. But of course, as Anne had expected, the Gorn over pursue and they end up getting to destroying one of their own ships because they go too far themselves and being a smaller ship implodes. I noticed an Easter egg that I didn't see mentioned anywhere. Mm. So when Pike's having to make the decision about sealing the bulkheads, yeah. AM, Mr. Spock, after it says, look, you made the right choice. And it reminded me of Ratha Khan, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what, that, that just clicked in my mind. It's like, you did the right thing. Oh, yeah, he says, you made the logical choice. You made the logical choice. Yeah. But going back to Ratha Khan, that whole iconic, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, because yeah. Spock sacrifices himself in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Um, but I just found that interesting. I clocked that. I think I think what's good here too, though, is you have a captain that doesn't make decisions lightly. Yes. And that every crew member is valuable to him, regardless of their rank and position or, you know, within that structure. He values life. Um, and he'd rather everybody gets out, which I'm sure everybody would, of course. Yeah. But he's made a decision that's resulted in the death of a crewman and that obviously bothers him with Spock in his cold logic way as a Vulcan is like well you made the right choice You could, there was no other choice you could have made you would have put everybody else's life it's a logical risk. choice that's exactly what you say it's the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few so yeah. you made the logical choice why doesn't it feel like that for the same reason you made it because you value life La'an and Spock take the shuttle out which is deemed a suicide mission this is where we got to. <laughs> I like the fact the shuttle was called the Galileo. Yeah, I clocked that uh, too. That's a nice uh, homage. Which, which is in the Enterprise, uh, Next Generation uh, quite a lot. Yep. Um, but yeah, so they go out in the ship to spy on the final mothership and the last remaining Gorn ship and the spot that they're flashing 
likes each other and the way you might you know flash a torch to communicate with somebody using morse code or something yeah you know and she clocks that she recognizes it but doesn't quite she know can't why place it. um so spock agrees to my email with her and this plays back to the setup at the beginning where she says she doesn't want to speak to anybody doesn't want anybody in her head she's fine and now she's having to let spock into her head to look back at her traumatic childhood and try and uncover something that she's buried in there so there's question or not whether this is an error mm. because in the episode in the original series dagger of the mind spock says this is the first time i've ever had to perform a mind meld on a human mm. so either laan isn't human or there's a continuity error here i i don't know which i'm hoping it's laan's actually an alien that they're going to uncover because literally he says dagger of the mind never mind meld with a human before yeah. and then you know, so I'm like, is this scope for, you know, tell us in the comments. Do you think Lan's an alien? <laughs> I think they could probably swing it that way if they choose to do so. She's going to turn it to be a Q or something. But um, oh, That would be cool. I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I, I think it's probably most likely just a continuity error. I think the writers in the current show maybe haven't. Or, they've op- or maybe leaving a door open. I mean, it would be so cool. Spock's done this mime with, with Lan and he's seen her traumatic childhood he's seen mm-hmm. and it's also worth mentioning that Lan's seen her brother it's her brother yeah only through this because we see and this boy smiling from the start like yeah. we see little glimmers of this person but we have no idea who it is no he's popping up and you, you, during this you know moment we're getting flashbacks he hands her a book where he's basically figured out what all the flashing means and you know broken the code um, Spock realises what she's had to go through and how she's survived but in that process a little bit of his own trauma comes through and we hear Michael Burnham. From what series? Uh, Discovery. Discovery. (laughs) Disco. His, you know, sister. I think we should end this mind melt now. Is it that he's just denied ever performing on a human before because he's not allowed to talk about Discovery and his sister and all that kind of stuff? And so there's never been an official mention of him doing a mind melt on a human until the episode you mentioned. And so this is just conveniently brushed under the carpet. Or is that just doing lip service to the writers who maybe overlooked a key plot point? Mm. We'll maybe find out one day. Maybe. Still yet to find out. Yeah. But no, that's a good observation, though. You're very good at seeing things. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I watch it and I'm like, I wonder what's going on. But you sort of, your mind can go to places. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And I'm just like, what's going on here? So it's, it's an interesting observation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, you got to remember a lot of the original stuff was written in the 60s. Yeah. And we're now 2023. Yeah. And there's every <laughs> chance that the present day writers have probably done some research and done their homework. I would Stop imagine something as similar, simple, uh, you know, specific as that wouldn't have been overlooked, which means it's either a deliberate thing or it is a mass continuity error. thing is that it's done in a way where they can probably work their way around it. Yeah. They could they could figure a way to brush that under the carpet. I think if they wanted to, either either lands an alien or, you know, Spock just never mentions it anywhere that they never did did the mind meld with her, so they can just you know conveniently forget it ever happened. Tell us in comments. We want to know your thoughts on this. Yeah, but basically they use the the stuff they learn there from Land's brother and they change the phaser array to message the other Gorn ship to tell them that they're. Well, the Gorn ship has been mm-hmm. taken over by the humans, and so the Gorn destroys the other vessel. Did you notice what played at that moment? No. 
So you see a shot of Laan and it's actually Khan's theme. It plays as the other Gorn ship is destroyed. Yeah. I love that. See, yeah, see these that. Easter eggs, they yeah. keep me going. <laughs> yeah, My weekly are. Easter eggs are like, yes! I never got that one, but <laughs> certainly, so they go back to the ship, of course, and uh, that's where they decide they need to, they can't stay there any longer, they have to get out, the brown dwarf has been sucked into the black hole, so they decide to use the gravitational pull to basically slingshot themselves back out, and in the process of doing that, they hope it will convince the Gorn that they've been destroyed, and, and, and they're also going to just, drop the air purifier out of the <laughs> cargo damn bay, air purifier. <laughs> blow it up, and, you know, Ortegas mentions the fact that this will be called the Pike Maneuver if they pull it off, and, of course, they do, and if they pull it off, they escape, battered and damaged and, you know, worse for wear, but they're all alive, and the Gorn has broken off and, fl- and left, and we finally get the, the finale of the, of the episode where yeah. they're standing... And Hemmer and Ahura are all right as well, because well, that was touch and go. Well, this is... This Something that I find interesting because we know Uhura ain't going to die, right? Yeah. Pike doesn't know that. So this yeah. is where you have to separate what you know about the original series versus where you are right now with Strange New Worlds because mm-hmm. the characters in there, we know Pike's future. Like, Pike knows his future. Yeah. But the crew don't, other than Una. We also know Spock, Uhura, and other characters are going to be there for the inevitable future. But Pike and other characters in the show don't. So when they're generally concerned and there's that moment of silence, you have to just put aside that you know she's okay, and let, and then you get that wee moment where she responds and Pike and everybody have that wee moment of relief and they realise she's she's okay and Hammer's okay, and Hammer tells her that he's impressed by her and she's going to get very mm-hmm. highly commended in the, in her in the, on her on her test basically, and the final shot, like I say, is Pike with all the coffins of the lost crew members and, the, and whatnot and. That was similar to Wrath of Khan as well at the end. Yeah, um, but he has that chat with Lan and explains to her how a little bit of hope can do a lot of things and she's finally wearing her commemorative yep. badge and instead of trying to almost bury and forget... The... She also says as well at the end, um, you know, she I can't remember the exact statement, but this isn't the last of them that we're going to see this, you know, that until next time, I think is the word she used. Yeah. And that reminded me of when Picard next generation after the first encounter when Q throws them to the Borg mm. and it's like, you know, this is gonna happen again. We need while wow, we're out our depth here, this is yeah. serious. This is an enemy that, you know, we need to be equipped to deal with. Next time they they won't catch us by surprise. We'll be ready for them. So all in all, brilliant episode. Fantastic episode. Um, and because I know where it goes, and it's interesting, I find these parallels every week. We're about to go into episode 10 of season two, which, going by the trailer, is going to be Gordon-based. Mm-hmm. I mean, also in the finale of season one is Gordon-based. So we do see a Gorn, obviously, in episode 10 of season one. And so I'm curious now as to where we go with the upcoming episode um, well we'll get there when we get to season 2 but it's yeah. it's interesting that every time we talk about a particular episode there's a parallel to the present series well this is what's been one of the things I've loved about going back and re-watching uh, season 1 of Strange New Worlds yeah. is the fact that through watching further along episodes and then going back 
you see a lot of you see like the threads and how mm. things tie in together quite nicely yeah. and how they're building different characters up and different narratives. So it was a solid five out of five for me. Five. Yeah, see, I five. Can't, I can't give it a five because that means I there's no to. room for improvement. No, I had to give it five. Mm. Horror and sci-fi for me is like a, a love letter. It got five. <sighs> see, I wish it could be <laughs> because it's not the first time seeing it, and and I have to admit that I. I like where it's going and where it goes for me would be the five out of five. So I'm going to give this one four. Okay, I'm going 4. to be 4.25, just so awkward <laughs> like you. But it was it was a great episode. It's been, it was, of the four episodes we've covered, it's been my favourite one. Snap. And I really love the horror vibe, the sci-fi vibe. We get to see the crew be crew. We get to see the characters, experts in their, you know, areas. And that, I think, is one of the big things that's sometimes lacking in Strange New World. It's a bit relaxed. There's a little bit of too... Everybody's this was a pally, shift. Pally. This was a proper shift this was in dynamic. A shift. There was you, you saw them in their professional element, in their roles, and how a competent a crew they actually can be. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas usually you see them almost been a little bit too relaxed and a bit, you know, sometimes. And I love it, but there's also it's nice to see that they can transition. They can jump back and forth. And this is it. Be what it's, needs to be at the right time. It's the diversity of the episodes. You know, you have lighthearted and then yeah. something lighthearted, and you know. To then something like this, where it's like impending doom again, yeah. horror, suspense, survival. Yeah. Survival's a massive theme throughout it, you know. But it was a five from me. Fair enough. Solid five. <laughs> We're going to dive into some Star Trek news. Yeah, so after that, I've had, I only had a quick look at stuff. I see Prodigy Season 2 dropped the trailer. So we are getting the Season 2 yeah, after all. after all that. Is it being cancelled? Is it going to continue? I believe it's going to continue, but not under Paramount Plus. I wonder who's. Um, but the I believe they've included Robert Picardo. Uh, you know the good doctor. old doc. Um, he's Robert appearing Picardo. in this one. Uh, it's maybe not new news, but I've only just heard myself about a TV series that's in development for Starfleet Academy, where we're going to follow a bunch of cadets, trans, you know, traversing the world of Starfleet Academy and how that's going to play out. Do you think they'll do it like an origin thing, like a Tom Paris type thing, or do you think they'll just totally? It's going to be original characters. Yeah. I don't know when it's going to be set though. They haven't said if it's set in what which which era. sort of era we're um, going to deal so with. So I don't know much about that part yet. It might even be because they're doing stuff with Tilly and from Discovery. And she's, right. So they could end up making a Starfleet Academy based in the future with Tilly as a main character in there. Yeah. I kind of hope they just bring in fresh faces because. Again, it's Discovery, and I'm not the biggest fan of it, and so I really wouldn't mind if I don't see some of those characters again. Um, I do think it would be nice to see Starfleet Academy in the Next Generation era, because mm. that would allow them to have crossovers with all the stories that we know and love, yeah, that's whilst having era. fresh material. It's not just that, though. It's allow, it allows you to have a fresh idea within that world, Yeah, but there's room exactly. to play with some of the existing lore within that. Yeah, And I think that could be fun. Whereas if you just take... you could If you go into a new section of time you can do what you want with it fine mm-hmm. but there's no familiarity there and I think for, for it to be a Starfleet based Starfleet Academy based show it'd be nice to be set in a timeline where you there's big names floating around and they can use that like oh yeah we can oh Enterprises in Space Talk oh, and they're got, like, all excited to go and see it that kind of stuff or oh, I picked up the cards lecture on you know just little things little things that they could do to make it quite fun um, yeah and of course there was some chat about potentially a Picard season 4 after them saying three was the last one, I don't think it's going to be a season four. I think what Patrick Stewart indicated is he would do a movie, he'd be interested in a film, 
because it's less taxing on him. Obviously, he's an yeah. older gentleman now. Uh, but I'd also like to see some news about the Star Trek Legacy chat because they haven't said they're doing it for sure, but they haven't said they're not. And if they it are, it looks very to... promising from what I uncovered online. Yeah. But speaking of Patrick Stewart, I meant to actually tell you right. and the listeners as well. In October, when I'm in tour in America, mm -hmm. I'm actually going to see him do right. a live talk and get okay. his book, Making It So. So I'll have to give you all an update on that when I get back. Oh, you need it's not to get actually a, that long. Jeez. You need to get a, a video and stick it on the, on the site. Um, but that'd be quite cool. But no, that's that's as much news of, as I've uncovered. Have you got anything new? There was another cool little thing, and I actually need to check this out, and we're going to check this out for next week as well. They've released an alternative Shaw death scene, so I'd like to see what they did with that. So that's Picard season three? Picard season three, yeah. yeah. Shaw. I haven't seen that. that. Yeah, myself, so I'd like to have a look at Person that. Person from Chicago, which I'm not going to say the word at the start. <laughs> but no, I'd, I'd like to see that too, actually, because his death scene was uh, quite heroic. But I wonder if they did a version where he wasn't as heroic. Well, this is it. Or if he gets assimilated. To... Yeah. Hmm. Okay, we need to watch that and then we'll, we'll, we'll pick that back up next time. There was also my last bit of news for me was there's a California congressman who wants Leonard Nimoy put on a commemorative stamp and I'm all for it. I'm all for it. You want to buy it and have a wee stamp collection? Yes. Yeah. You know, it'll be in my studio with pride. <laughs> Next to your Spock head. Yep. Yeah, right on his forehead. <laughs> I do have a Spock head in my studio. Among other strange, incredible things. Tumbleweed. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so moving on. And that brings us nicely to our sci-fi or not segment. Now, I asked you last week to watch Universal Soldier. I did. Did you watch it? I watched it Did and I, it? I loved it. It's a very me type film. Okay. And you would rate it what? Out of five? No, sci-fi or, or action. So for me, it felt very much like an action movie with sci-fi themes throughout mm. it, if that makes sense. Yep. But very much... I don't know if it's when I see those guys, I'm like, action. But it was just all the, you know, the combat mm. and just the the military element, there was just a lot of that in it. And it was funny because I I bought it on Apple TV right. and it was described as um, martial arts. And then I went to watch, I went to check the description on another platform. I can't yeah. remember what it was, maybe I think Amazon. And it said sci-fi fantasy. Right. So this debate is ongoing. So there you go. But you thought it was what, action more than sci-fi? I thought it was action more than sci-fi. So this is interesting. So I, <laughs> as you know, felt it was more of an action movie. You agree that you feel it's yes, more of an action movie. I do. The initial polls we put out all agreed that it was an action movie. <laughs> and then I stupidly stuck a last chance to get your vote in. <laughs> Just today, was it? Yeah. And suddenly the, the, the balance shifted it's massively. And now it's more in favour of it being a sci-fi movie and not an action film. Yeah. So I suppose we have to... Make the official the official statement, and you've got to say it since you <laughs> and the internet, through gritted the, teeth. <laughs> the, inter the internet has spoken, and I guess the Universal Soldier is a sci-fi movie. So that'll make a certain Douglas Fender happy to know that the internet <laughs> agrees with him. But I will stand strong to my belief that it is an action film with sci-fi elements. But I will honour the internet's voting, and we will put our first sci-fi or not film up with the genre officially of sci-fi. 
What's our next one? I'm sure you mentioned. So I asked if you had anything you wanted to, to look at, but you didn't get back to me on it. So you've, you've, I'm going to throw you into the deep end with Event Horizon. Yeah, I've been, you know, this has been on my list for years, and I feel ashamed that I've not actually seen it. I would argue that it's more horror than sci-fi. Right. I'll do my my again my little. Just because it's based on a spaceship in space doesn't mean it's specifically sci-fi. Yeah. And I think the themes of Event Horizon are very much horror based. So. There we go. I say horror. Let's see what you need I to watch say. it and see what Let's you say. Let's see what I say. And as horror always, or sci-fi. Yeah, horror or sci-fi. But as always, we want to get the opinion of the viewers and listeners. So comment, Event Horizon, is it a sci-fi or a horror film? We'll put a short clip out, as we always do, where people can vote and we'll make an official designation next week whether it's going to be horror or sci-fi. So let's see if I'm going to be wrong for two in a row. <laughs> So you and I were both discussing recently a certain video by the Dave Cullen Show, another YouTuber with uh, some interesting points in Star Trek. And it's an interesting discussion because we don't completely agree with... Well, I don't completely agree with what he says, um, but I do agree with some of his points. You are very... I'm very much... No. <laughs> you don't agree with him at all in any of his points? You know, I just... I'm so in love with this series. Mm. Maybe I've got rose-tinted glasses on. I don't know. I, I just... I. I, I love it so much. I, I think it's good to be objective when we're talking about these things, but I have to agree. I've actually really enjoyed Strange New Worlds season yeah. two more than season one. Um, but revisiting season one has also allowed me to remember that actually it's still a great series. It's fabulous, yeah. One of the, the points he makes, though, is they talk about uh, a season two episode where Laan has to go back in time to stop a Romulan attack uh, during the can eugenics creation yeah. Spoiler phase. alert. <laughs> and... Um, Talks about how they bumped that forward in time, and that you know we don't have to make things realistic to our current world setup. And I would agree with that because mm -hmm. ultimately, films and television are escapism. You want to get away from the real day to day. You don't want to be watching films and TV and being reminded of everything that's going on in the world, good, bad, or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I watch something like Star Trek, it's so far removed from our current reality that it's complete escapism. And that's always been one of the big appeals for that. So when they've moved things around in the Star Trek timeline to make it more relevant to events that have happened or haven't happened in our existing timeline, I don't think they need to because it's not a real show. It's not a real timeline. They can just leave things as they were. That in the 90s in that world, this happened. Just because it doesn't happen in our 90s or our 2000s or whatever. And I think that's not just something that's Trek specific though. That's a lot of films and TV these days try very hard to be super realistic mm -hmm. and play along the lines of, you know, certain things that happen because it's happened in real life. And I don't think you always need that. I think escapism is still should still very much be a major part of these types of shows and enjoyment. And that's one point I would agree with, that we don't need to be changing or, cha or modifying timelines to bring us more into line with the present day and events that are happening in our current life um life cycle he talks about if we make Star Trek in 20 or 30 years are we going to have to change the Zephyrin Cochrane you know warp yeah. drive thing no we don't because it's, again it's Just not a real it. timeline it's not a real show it's all very much an yeah. escapism in a, in a fictional world so we don't shouldn't have to be changing things around to compensate for that that point I would agree with see that with me the way 
when I watch anything, I would want them to just keep the Star Trek timeline, keep it, keep it the way mm. it's done that way. So you do agree with his point? I do agree with that that point. <laughs> yes. Okay, that one you got yeah. me with that one. I'm someone I like things. I'm like I'm a completionist. Mm. I like things to be in order. The yeah. the wonders and beauty of OCD people, um, <laughs> you know. But that is one point I did agree yeah. with. It's when he goes starts slating my beloved Trek. So again, this is where I think I kind of get his point when he's saying about how Spock's treated like crap and he's not really a very intelligent man on the show. And I would agree in the sense that he's young for a Vulcan, but he's the same age as the humans. He has a half he's a human mother and he's had Michael Burnham, his human sister, right? He's been in Starfleet Academy. He's been around humans. So there's all these little issues that he has with being really awkward socially and unable to blend in so well. I do agree that I think at this point he'd be much more adapted than we currently see him. And I think he's almost been made into a comedy character a little bit. And sometimes I love it. It's great. Even referencing back to the episode we just watched, there's a point where he gives Pike an instruction and Pike says, do this. And he's like, that's not what I meant. Yeah. You know, that's fine. I get that. And I also appreciate that they do explain this in season two, admittedly, that he's trying to embrace his human side a bit more and he's trying Mm -hmm. to let his guard down and he's trying to find the balance. And he does explain this, the crossover episode with uh, Lower Decks, where he explains to Boimler, I think that his certain things that you're looking at me now aren't going to be me in 20 or 30 years' time because I'm still trying to figure some stuff out. So I'm going through a phase. That's kind of how they write it off. But I do think he wouldn't be as adolescent, teenage boy at this stage in his life. He hasn't. He has been around humans. It's not like they've just taken him from Vulcan and went, there you go, you're now with humans and he just can't adapt. You know, that, that, I would agree with that to some extent. I think that's when he was talking about the episode Charades. Forget the specifics on it. Yeah, it was to do with Spock going human, yeah. like when he returns, there's the shuttle. I think he's been generally over the whole show. Really? Yeah, but I, I don't think he, I, I don't see him like a moody teenager. No, well, it, well, that specific re- uh, references going to that episode. Oh, right, okay. But certainly the um, in that episode, he very much was like an, an adolescent see, boy. Because he lost all his Vulcanism and was a straight-up human. Yeah, and that episode you can see the ties to yeah. adolescence. Like, I'm going to my room, Mum! Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I actually I actually liked the episode. I thought that was I a love funny that episode. episode. And, I, and I think what you've got there is somebody who's constantly in check of himself all mm-hmm. the time, now suddenly without that barrier. And so he is almost, in some ways, acting like a bit of a brat because he's getting to experience the human side of being half-human. Especially all, without like all the... Without you know, all the Vulcan... Uh, Hormones going right. Yeah, or the, or the guilt of having to be more in control of that. And I think that allows you to see it, that the human side of Spock. And let's be real, Leonard Nimoy even played Spock. There was moments of this humanity and things that came through when yeah. he found Captain Kirk was alive and he made him, you know, even little comments he would make, little smirks and smiles. It wasn't like he was always pure Vulcan. It wasn't always you know? stoic. No, there were, there were moments where he let slip his guard and you saw that, that was part. Him. That was that was a thing you know, that I loved as well about the original series. You yeah. would have these little glimmers of like, I'm going to be a smirk here and then yeah. he'd try and hide it quickly. Or they just, you know, they play into that. It's part of the character. Yeah. And I think that Ethan Peck's a brilliant Spock. I mean, Leonard is always, Leonard yeah. Nimoy is my beloved, like my absolute hero in my life. Yeah. So <laughs> It's an Easter egg for you. <laughs> He says sensors because that's how Leonard Nemo says it. Sensors, yeah. Um, but no, I, I think... But Ethan, I think, is awesome. I, I think Ethan Peck's Ethan a great Peck. Spock. I don't have he's a problem brilliant. with the character. I, I love him. I think he's great. 
Yeah, I think he's a good... good... Come on our show, Ethan. <laughs> I think he's great at Spock, and I, I don't have any issues with that. I kind of see his point, though, but some of the characters talking to him like he's stupid, like he's not quite... Like he's some troublesome kid that needs to learn how to be more social in awkward situations and realise when he shouldn't speak and when he should speak. And I think that would be more in line with somebody who's still maybe in their... Even late teens in a social mm. environment they didn't quite get or understand. So I get his point to that extent, but I also think they're developing a character who's supposed to be trying to embrace a side of himself that he's not normally embraced. And I think the episode where he does become human allows him to have a proper glimpse at the what his mum's had to go through. Yeah. Being on Vulcan, being almost ostracised by the Vulcans yeah. and being treated like crap and how he's realising he's also been part of that problem, being half Vulcan himself and trying to embrace that side more. So I think going forward, we're going to start to see a bit more of the balance that maybe we start mm -hmm. to see later on. So I partly agree with his comments, but I also think it's a prequel series and you're taking characters who aren't who aren't there yet. They're not in the original, they're not where the original series gets to. Yeah, so there's, there's there's different got to, got to times see that journey. as well. We think, you know, there's different times as well because we were seen as well. Um, well, writing changes. I mean, writing changes. Spock originally was in the sixties, and then through the eighties, nineties with the films. We've right? seen the different and iterations. You know, yeah, it's... belief systems have changed, understandings of things have changed, the way people see the world has changed, and so writing has changed. And I think you can't expect nineteen eighties writing in twenty twenty three. No. So you've got to allow the characters to be a bit different. Evolve, and you've got like, to, a bit you've evolution. Got to, yeah. Yeah, you've got to be able to embrace that. And I think if you want Star Trek: The Next Generation writing. In 2023, go watch Star Trek: <laughs> Next Generation. I don't think you're going to be able to really write that kind of television now without bringing in the modern tropes that the world expects. Yeah, because you also got to remember Star Trek's a huge series that's been running for years, and there's fan bases like ourselves, and there's guys and women that are older than us, and there's people that are younger, and you're also trying to make a series generation that's almost trying to keep the Star Trek fandom alive by appealing to probably a younger audience. Mm -hmm. So the way they speak, the way they are, the way they interact with each other is maybe more relevant to a slightly younger audience Keeping base, it more open. and not and maybe some of the older fans who are stoic in their belief what Star Trek should be don't quite want to understand. I them. think uh, it's about being open minded and embracing you know the new iterations because yeah. for me, Strange New Worlds I think is absolutely incredible, yeah. and as a, a you know a Star Trek fan, getting this has been like a dream come true. And we've said numerous times that we feel feel. That's the most Star Trek since yeah. DS9, Voyager, Voyager Trek's yeah. Generation, that type of era. I I didn't watch Enterprise religiously when it came out, so I, it's something we should probably revisit, actually, as a series. Enterprise once is something I'd be keen to revisit yeah. as well, because I, I've watched through it a couple of times, but there's a few things I've noticed even, with, there seems to be quite a lot of tiebacks in mm. Strange New Worlds to Enterprise. Yeah. So they have done a lot of, you know, homework with yeah. that, so I think that would be an interesting one. The other thing he mentions a lot is the lack of professionalism of the crew. Mm -hmm. um, he mentions Ortega's always being mouthy and all the rest of it. And like, again, I partly agree. I think there's moments where she has to maybe realise, you know, they've all got a job to do. They're in a moment of crisis. They're at battle stations. Now it's like time just to keep your mouth shut, listen to the commands. And, and if you want to, as I already said earlier, offer something of value and worth to the current, you know, assessment, crack on, do that. Mm -hmm. That's your job as an yeah. officer. You've got that experience that the other people rely on you for. But if you can't say anything that's going to be helpful, you should probably just keep your mouth shut because mm -hmm. you are essentially in a world where there's less experienced crew on there and they hear you bad-mouthing, back-chatting, 
that might make them feel nervous. They might make Set a mistake. The standard. Yeah. But again, you know, this is something that we see. Even in Memento Mori, Pike shoots her a look. And in other episodes when she makes those comments, he shoots her a look. So the writers do make a point of having Kirk, uh, Perk, Perk? Perk. Pike <laughs> react to that. So I think it's not been overlooked. I think it's I think it's there for a reason. So I think, again, you're, you're commenting on something that's clearly not being missed. Because if it was, there'd be no looks from Pike. Mm-hmm. Which lets us know the writers have, are aware of the back chat. Yeah. So, so we'll again, see where it goes. It's something that could be built on later on. And we are still only on season two. So if there's a lot more seasons to come, there could be a point where that comes to a proper head and maybe there's something they discuss yeah. down the road or there's an episode that's relevant to that. I know there's been a bit of outcry that Ortegas hasn't had a specific Ortegas-focused episode. And even getting towards the end of season two, there still hasn't been that yet. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do with the character. I mean, they touch on it slightly. There is a, there is an episode, I'm not going to give a spoiler, but there is an episode where it looks like it's going to be from her point of view, but then it's sort of, it's not quite... No. But um, we also know going forward, are they going to bring the original series characters in, like Sulu and Chekhov, right? Um, they're going to have to show up at some point. And I like her take. I don't, actually don't have anything against the character. I think no, I, I like she's a great character. Yeah, so do I. Uh, I just, I wonder... Who's the expendable crew? Because we know it can't be Spock or Uhura. Yep. Hemmer's already gone. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, although Bruce Horak did make an appearance in the musical. And um, I really don't know. Well, they leave Chapel's on the way out, but she's only way for three months. So again, they can do that between seasons. Mm-hmm. So she's not gone. Gone. She's just been accepted in our fellowship for with the, with the Vulcans. Again, season two. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's been a great series. I think the writing's been good. I think there's been some episodes that are not as good as others. Some I found... I would. I think you've got to give shows time to develop. Season one, you're very much exploring the characters, the story, setting the world. For some people, Strange New Worlds might be the first introduction to Star Trek. So I've got a few friends that I've put on to it from this yeah. <laughs> podcast. I'm like, go watch people, it, please watch it. Even a few folk I've spoken to, I've never really watched it, and they've started watching this series and kind of enjoyed it. So, And there are people you wouldn't say were Trekkies. They better subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> so I'll, I'll chase them for it. But certainly I think uh, you've got to be aware that we're not writing content from the 1980s anymore. So Yeah, things move things on. Things move on, things change, the writing style changes, the writer's styles change. Mm-hmm. The, everything's, you know, more modern looking and relevant. And even some of the, you know, jokes that the characters make are modern day jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, people have made comments about how they don't think that was a good thing to happen, but it didn't bother me. But I think that basically wraps that up. Right? That wraps yeah. us up for this week's episode. So, as always... Check us out on Facebook. Don't check us on Facebook. We haven't got a Facebook. Should we make a Facebook? Tell us. Should we? <laughs> yeah. But we do have Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. So check us out. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Leave some comments. Tell us what you think. Always open and happy to hear comments from fans, suggestions. And until next time, I've been Stuart. And I've been Natasha. Live long and prosper.